Jesus' crucifixion. And I, and I want you to, to keep an eye on the timetable here. You'll notice the end of the chapter. Now, it was the Passover of the Jews. This is the end of Jesus' ministry. Chapter 12 is the end of Jesus' public ministry. His ministry is coming to an end. The Passover, wherein Jesus would become the true Passover lamb, was imminent. And so I want us to begin by by thinking about Jesus' resurrection prayer. His resurrection prayer. And again, you will notice the, the great detail we are given leading up to the actual miracle. After Jesus is he's taken to the tomb, we read in verses 41 and 42 that they, they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. Now, Jesus did not need to pray. He could have just gotten to the point and raised Lazarus from the dead. But with great patience, he takes time and he prays out loud for all to hear. And he did that for you and for me. He prayed to strengthen our faith in him so that we see his glory. Notice what he says here. He says, I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. Jesus is saying, Father, I know you always hear me. I don't need to do this. But I'm praying on account of these people standing around so that they will believe that you sent me. This is Jesus again graciously strengthening our faith in him. And in in doing so, here again we see a recurring theme. In doing so, he's showing us what he's doing from heaven right now for us. What's Jesus, your great high priest, doing for you right now? He's praying for you. Hebrews 7, 24 and 25 says of Jesus, he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. You see, this graveside prayer is a picture of what Jesus is doing all the time for us interceding for our every need, saving us to the uttermost, praying that our faith might be strengthened. His resurrection prayer. But then secondly, we see Jesus' resurrection power. In this climactic sign motivated by a deep love for his friend, An anger that raged against sin and death, Jesus confronts the last great enemy of death. And he gives us a foretaste, not only of his own death, but what he will do at the last great day. 
Look at verses 43 and 44. He cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Now, friends, as a sign, this is pointing to something beyond itself. As amazing as this was, it points to something even more amazing. Because it points, first of all, to our being raised from spiritual death to life in Jesus Christ. This is a picture of our salvation and our sanctification. It's a picture of us being raised to eternal life in Christ right now. It's a picture of the freedom from the penalty and the power of sin. Notice the added detail. Lazarus comes out and he's bound in grave clothes. And what does Jesus say? Unbind him and let him go. This is a picture of what Jesus does for us. He, he saves us from our sins, but then he unbinds us. He, he saves us from the penalty of sin by his death. And then he unbinds us and frees us from the power of sin over us. Unbind him. In Revelation 1, Jesus is the one who loves us and who has freed us from our sins by his blood. Friends, one of the things we need to understand is when the Bible talks about our resurrection, it sees our resurrection as something that has already begun. Your resurrection has begun in Jesus Christ. And yet there's also a, a sobering reminder here of what happens when we are raised from spiritual death to life in Christ. You'll notice that Lazarus was raised to a life where people hated him and wanted to kill him. And it reminds us that the world will oppose us, that the world will hate us because it hated Christ first. But Lazarus, of course, would die again. And so the sign has to point to something even greater. And that means it points to the resurrection of all believers on that last great day when Christ will call out with a loud voice to all those who are his and we will be raised with imperishable bodies. And what was sown perishable will be raised imperishable. And what was sown in dishonor will be raised in glory when what was sown in weakness will be raised in power. It points us to the last great day when we will be glorified with Christ with resurrected bodies free not just from the penalty of sin and the power of sin but freed once for all from the presence of sin in our life 
Jesus' resurrection power. And, and finally, the passage underlines for us the source of Jesus' resurrection power. In the final part of this chapter, we see how, how it is that Jesus is able to save us and raise us from the dead and how he destroys sin and death. Because as I mentioned earlier, what is emphasized here is that it was this miracle that brought about Jesus' death. Jesus raised Lazarus at the cost of his own life. Because what is clear is that this seventh sign would be the last straw for these religious leaders. And Jesus knew it would be the last straw. These wicked shepherds of Israel had enough. Look at verses 45 and, and following. They, they went and and they told the Pharisees what Jesus had done. Verse 47, so the chief priest and Pharisees gathered the council and said, what are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. And, and listen to John's commentary on this. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made plans to put Jesus to death. And Jesus, therefore, no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there to a region near the wilderness to a town called Ephraim. Friends, the lesson for us is the same, that Jesus raises us from spiritual death and one day actual death at the cost of his own death on the cross. Because the cross was where Jesus confronted that last great enemy. It was where he took our place, taking upon himself the eternal death that should have been ours and making full payment for our sins and thus destroying the one who has the power over death. And I chose Psalm 16 as our call to worship, and we're going to, to sing it in a moment because it illustrates this very same point. That we have to trust in Christ and let his death be our death so that his resurrection can be our resurrection. And that's the hope that David expresses in Psalm 16. I think I put a few excerpts from Psalm 16 in your outline. Did I do that? Okay. So look at verses 9 and 10. D David 
he's expressing confidence that he will be raised. He says, therefore, my heart is glad. My whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. Now, at first glance, we could look at that and think the two statements in verse 10 are parallel to one another. We can read that and think, well, David is referring to himself as your Holy One. But as I mentioned earlier, that's, that cannot be the case. Um, the, the phrase translated Holy One is in the singular form. And what we find in the Bible is the plural version of that is used for, for us. It's often translated saints. But you'll notice in verse 10, it is the singular form, your Holy One. And if we do a study of this term in the Bible, what we find is while the plural version is used for saints, the singular version is never, ever, ever used to describe a believer. A believer in the Bible is never called a saint singular. But what we do see is that the singular term Holy One in every case is a messianic title used to refer to the Lord Jesus. You'll see I have John 6, 69. And we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus is the Holy One of God. And so we need to hear David here in a sense, speaking of two resurrections, when he says, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, he's, he's talking about his resurrection. But when he says, or let your Holy One see corruption, he's speaking of the Messiah's resurrection. And when we trust in Christ, those resurrections become one. Listen to what Dr. C.J. Williams says. David sees the reality of his own resurrection as inseparable from the resurrection of Christ. He understood his own resurrection is bound up in the Messiah's resurrection. This means that we can be confident of our resurrection because God did not allow his Holy One to see corruption. When we trust in Christ, his death for sin becomes our death to sin, and his resurrection becomes our resurrection. The reality of our resurrection, our hope lies in the fact that Jesus died and rose again. And we can be confident in our own resurrection because God did not allow his Holy One to see corruption. And that's what Paul tells us in Romans, that if we are united to Christ by faith, then we are certainly united to him in his resurrection. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for Christ and him crucified. We thank you and we confess 
that we have been crucified with Christ. We confess also our hope in our resurrection because you did not let your Holy One see decay, but you raised him on the third day. Lord, may we look to him and find confidence in our own resurrection. Lord, may we live in light of the fact that that resurrection has begun. May we take hold of your promise that we have now been freed both from the penalty and the power of sin. And may we look forward to that day when you come again and free us once for all from the presence of sin. We pray these things in the good name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. Let's turn in our Psalter hymnals to 16b.